Alright you guys, if you have a Bible today, let's open up to Proverbs chapter 23. As we continue our journey through the Bible, and this is really uh, a really cool chapter, Proverbs 23, there's a lot of practical words of wisdom about things that we deal with every day. You know, I, I hope it doesn't uh, get old, but man, I always have to tell you guys that this book right here is kind of like God's recipe uh, to live a successful life. I love the book of Proverbs. I encourage you guys to read one every day. Um, to keep the devil away, so to speak, you know, every day, like whatever the date is, like what's today, the 10th, you would read Proverbs 10. Tomorrow's 11th, you read Proverbs 11. If you do that as a Christian, what I try to do is to try to do it right before lunch. So in the morning, I have my regular devotions, and then before my lunchtime, I'm like, okay, did I read my proverb for today? Because um, as you're reading them over and over again throughout the years, uh, even someone like me, when all reality, before I was a Christian, I not only lacked wisdom, but I lacked common sense. I didn't have any type of guidance. And this book right here, I think God has used tremendously uh, to protect me, to lead me and guide me. And so this is really God's recipe for successful living. And uh, today we're going to go over very practical things, uh, things that we experience and deal with every day, things like money, or manipulation, uh, things like food and our flesh, uh, when to speak, when not to speak. We're going to talk about parenting and the importance of uh, disciplining our children in love. We're going to talk about alcohol. We'll talk about women. Uh, we'll talk about alcoholics and workaholics. Things like that are dealt with in this proverb. And then, of course, there's the truth of the Bible being planted in our heart. We'll go over tonight, and even the issue of the heart, the heart we're going to see in this chapter is mentioned nine times. And so a lot of things that are so important for us, that's why it's a blessing to see you guys come out, man, on a, on a midweek service, to be honest. I mean, I think a lot of times people don't go to church, and for those of you who are watching online, I commend you as well. Because the world that we live in has a way of making us so busy, and, you know, we want to whatever, watch television or go and do this and that and the other, things that really are not uh, productive. They're not edifying. And so it's so cool when people are smart enough to be able to come in and to say, God, I want to learn your word because I know that I need it. And so this proverb, really, really cool. Uh, one other thing that you'll notice as we go through the proverbs, and I don't know if you know, you guys like to write in your Bibles, but at least make a mental notation of how many times he tells you, do not, do not do this, do not do this. We're going to see it, the prohibitions, 11 times in this chapter. And so verse 1, he says, When you sit down to eat with a ruler, consider carefully what is before you, and put a knife to your throat if you are a man given to appetite. Do not desire his delicacies, for they are deceptive food. Now, this is an interesting uh, proverb. Um, believe it or not, it is practical. Have you guys ever heard that saying that the, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach? Have you guys ever heard that? It, it's true. It's sad, but it's true, right? And how our appetite can make us do um, some crazy things. And so if you're a foodie, uh, you better be careful. You might be a foolie one time, right? As you go through life, you have to be careful. Let's just say a leader or, or some type of prominent person invites you to dinner. That boss or that boy or whatever, they wine and dine you in order to, a lot of times, believe it or not, manipulate you. You know, you may think, well, there is no way that food can do that to me. But if you think about it, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. It was food. You know, you go through the Bible, you're going to see many examples. For example, Esau, he sold his birthright for some red stew, you know, something like menudo or something, right? Think about that. The children of Israel, they got taken out of Egypt, and God set them free. But you want to know something? Because they got tired of the bread, the manna that God had provided from heaven, they wanted to go back to Egypt and what that was was a picture. I want the meat. I want the melons. I want the flesh pots. I want the, all the food that I used to eat in Egypt. What that is a picture of is the fact that they did not have any discipline over their flesh. And so what we find in life, you guys, is that God gives bread for our needs, but we have a tendency to crave meat for our lusts. 
And, and so we need to be careful when it comes to food and everything else the flesh might want. I remember Pastor Rawl, you know, he would say this all the time. Keep your appetites under control. You know, this right here would be of a leader, you know, inviting you to dinner. It could be a friend. I've been in certain situations where, you know, they invite you to dinner. And in all reality, there was ulterior motives behind it. So basically, be careful. If you go to that leader's house and you dive in and you want all that food, next thing you know, it becomes a, a stumbling block to you. He says, put a knife to your throat. And basically what he's saying is be stern and resolute with yourself lest you get deceived uh, by others. Verse 4, he says right here, Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. The New English translation puts it this way. Do not wear yourself out to become rich. Be wise enough to restrain yourself. And so a couple of things to consider. Number one, um, of course, the obvious is don't be a workaholic. Don't overwork uh, to be rich, right? But then number two, something to take into consideration is don't foolishly put yourself in a position where you have to work. You know, you got three boats, I mean, overwork. You have three boats, you got three cars, you know, you like the, the bling and all that kind of stuff, right? And you buy into all the world is trying to sell you. Next thing you know, this guy has to work all these jobs. Why? Because he put himself in so much debt. Here we read that at the end of the day, it's all going to fly away. If not immediately, it will eventually. That's what Jesus said in Matthew 6, 19 through 20. He said, don't lay up your treasures on earth because eventually the thief will take it. Eventually the rust will corrode it. It'll get old. Don't, don't let that be what you, where your treasure is. Lay, lay your treasure up in heaven. What he says right here, he says, because of your understanding, verse 4, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding. Cease. I tell you what, you guys, living in the United States of America, the materialism, the, the way that, you know, they sell you all these things and they tell you, you know, you need all that stuff. Man, it, it's just crazy for us. It's a temptation for us. It's a distraction for us. I think that if we were maybe somewhere else where there wasn't so many amenities, so many temptations in that sense, that we might be stronger in our relationship with God. You know, because you realize what true treasures are. What he says right here is because of your own understanding, cease. And you're like, well, what, what understanding? What, what do you understand about riches? Well, there's a lot of things that we could say. One thing I know is that contentment is a choice not based on how much I have, but on who I have. Because I've been there. I don't know if you guys have ever been there. Have you ever said it? Well, I just need one more pair of pants and then I'll be content. Because now I've got the three different colors. Have you guys ever thought stuff like that? One more pair of shoes. Oh, this is the last shirt I need. And I mean, you know, contentment. We will never be content with the stuff that we... You say, I just want that. If I can just get that, it'll be enough. It'll never be enough. Because of your own understanding about stuff like that, stop it. Contentment is a choice. I have enough. With food and clothing, Jesus said, with this you shall be content. It's a choice that we make, not based on how much we have, but on who we have. Hebrews 13.5 says, Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And so you got people that are, they know they have a calling on their life, but they're not seeking God because they're working so much. I mean, there are so many things that I can point to and I can just say, this person sold out. You know, the Lord wanted to do this in their life. And this is where, you know, he wants to bless us in our relationship with him. He wants you to spend time praying, time praying. Praying. I'm not just talking about, you know, a real quick thing. No, quantity, quality time praying. But they can't and they won't. 
because they're so caught up in the stuff that this world has to offer. You know, one of the things that we know is that contentment is a choice, not based on how much I have, but who I have. Another thing that I understand is that I can't serve both God and riches. I, I can't serve both God and mammon because eventually and inevitably, your loyalty will be tested. The priority of your life. Is Jesus really number one in your life? Eventually, the truth will be told. You know, this can be a very challenging thing for us. You know what Paul the Apostle said in Philippians chapter 4? He said, I've learned to uh, be abased. I've learned to abound. I've learned to get by with just a little bit, and I've learned to have a lot. He said, I I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's Philippians 4, 12, and Philippians 4, 13. Now, we quote that verse all the time. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But, you know, usually we'll think about it in, you know, these crazy mountain-moving, you know, monumental tasks. You know, I can, I can do this. I can, you know, overcome this temptation, this sexual temptation, the, the drugs, the alcohol. I can, you know, preach to whatever, uh, a stadium of a thousand people. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. But the context of that verse is contentment. Why? Because, man, that is a challenge for so many people. So what's he saying right here? Don't overwork to be rich. I remember this one brother, uh, he, he loved the Lord, man. He still does, and he's still uh, working as an attorney. And uh, he could have made a lot more money, a lot more money. But what he decided to do was, I want to put the Lord first. I want, I want to spend time with my family And so what he decided to do was only work three days a week. And so still making decent money, able to pay the bills, but not as much as perhaps other people would have if they wanted to get all the stuff that the world has to offer. So, you know, be careful with things like this. A lot of things that we can talk about. But what we read right here is don't overwork to be rich. Don't set your mind or your eyes on things that really eventually will fly away. Verse 6, it says, Do not eat the bread of a miser, nor desire his delicacies. For as he thinks in his heart, so is he. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. The morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up and waste your pleasant words. Now, again, this is kind of a a weird one. Um, Don't, and then we're talking about having dinner again with somebody. We're talking about somebody who invites you over to dinner. And uh, I think what Solomon is saying is that if you know that individual is a miser, uh, literally one who has an evil eye, as some translations say, stingy, If you know that's the type of person they are, you probably shouldn't go there. Similar to what we read earlier, but earlier we read about a ruler. Here we read about a miser. In Proverbs 28, 22, it says, A man with an evil eye hastens after riches, because that's what the word miser literally is, an individual with an evil eye. Same thing in Deuteronomy 15, 9. You know, that individual with an evil eye. And so... Basically, what he's saying right here is don't eat at their house because he's like someone calculating the cost in his mind. Eat and drink, he says to you, but his heart is not with you. And so I don't know. I guess in one sense, I I think one of the things we're learning, just believe it or not, something like this can be uh, relevant one day, is we're learning to use wisdom in who we allow to treat us to dinner. Beware of the manipulative ruler and beware of the penny-pinching miser. Uh, Pastor Chuck gave an example of uh, one time him and one of the other pastors were invited to a dinner and they went to go eat at at someone's house from the church. And, uh, you know, they're eating, I guess it was pot roast of some sort. And so the guy asked him, hey, you want some more? And they said, sure, these are young men, fairly young men, you know, and they had a second serving. And then I don't know if there was a third serving involved, but basically they were kind of eating, right? And, and so what ended up happening is the guy, you know, right afterwards, he said, man, usually this lasts us a week. 
but you guys did it all tonight, you know, and so um, Pastor Chuck was thinking about this verse right here, because notice what it says in verse uh, 8, the morsel you have eaten, you will vomit up, and he said, man, I wanted to vomit it up right there on that guy who told me that right there. I don't know. I don't know. There are some people like that, you know, where they treat you and then, you know, one day maybe they'll bring it up. Um, that type of heart, you know, what he's just saying, just, you know what, be careful in things like this. Verse 9, it says, Do not speak in the hearing of a fool, for he will despise the wisdom of your words. You know, I'm getting older now. Um, some of you guys are younger. You probably can't relate. But I tell you what, when you get older, you realize how fast time flies. Uh, I don't want to freak you guys out or anything, but I'm thinking as I'm praying to the Lord and I'm thinking about all the things that he wants me to do, or at least I think he wants me to do, sometimes I ask the Lord, I said, Lord, I don't know if I have enough time. In one sense, I'm running out of time. So when you're, when you're limited on time, you have to really choose who you're going to talk to, what you're going to do with your life. And so what the proverb here is saying, you know what, um, don't, don't waste your breath on those individuals who really aren't open. And so you try sharing words of truth, and the bottom line is, Proverbs 9, 8 says, the scoffer will hate you. And Jesus said, they'll actually trample the truth under their feet, and then they'll turn and tear you in pieces, the Bible says in Matthew 7, verse 6. And so you have to choose, like, what conversations will I have? Uh, if, I, uh, if I allowed myself, I could be on the phone all day long. But I, I have to be careful. So, you know, he's just saying um, there's a time to speak, a time to be silent. One of the interesting things is that when Jesus was before Herod, he didn't even say a word to him. He said, this guy right here, he won't even listen to me. So I'm not even going to waste my breath. In all honesty, what we find is that time would be better invested somewhere else or in someone else who genuinely is open to the word of God. You know, and I've learned, that even as a pastor, not that you give up on people, but, you know, you try to pour into someone. Or maybe you pull someone aside and you, hey, they would, what about you, man? You want... You want to read or you want to get discipled or you want to seek the Lord together. And then, you know, you, you learn that some are serious and some aren't. The ones that are serious, the ones that are sincere, the ones that are open, those are the ones that you pour into. Charles Bridges said, The safe rule will be never to speak without prayer for divine guidance. Verse 10, it says, Do not remove the ancient landmark nor enter the fields of the fatherless. For their Redeemer is mighty, and he will plead their cause against you. And so we saw this prohibition last time in Proverbs twenty-two twenty-eight, and we see it a few times. Apparently it was common back then where they would take the, the property marker, whether it was a large stone or, or you know a pile of stones, and they would move it, and in the process what they would do is they would steal land from someone. Now, in this case, he's saying, whatever you do, don't do that to the fatherless. And he says right here, uh, don't even enter. Notice again, nor enter the fields of the fatherless. Don't even think about it. He tells us why right there. He says, for their Redeemer is mighty, and he will plead their cause against you. And so it's interesting to me, and I know it may be hard to believe, but Many uh, are out there, they would not dare touch the rich or the strong or the powerful. But there are many out there who will come against the poor or the helpless or the humble in heart. You know, and it's kind of trippy the way that it works, you know, like uh, you have the money to hire an attorney then that might stop me from coming against someone like that. But some of these guys that have no conviction, they have no heart, they're, they're calloused, all they're interested in money, he, they'll come after the, the widows and the orphans and the helpless. And what the Lord says right here is that you shouldn't do that. Because if you do, they're, they're a redeemer. And it's an interesting word, the kinsman redeemer. 
That, that's the Lord. In those days, there would be an individual who would be from the family and he would fight for their rights. But here, it's alluding primarily to the Lord. And you guys know this, huh? I mean, you know, people are going to do crazy things. But one day, they're going to stand before God. And they're going to give an account, right? And so he's warning. You know, there's a lot of prohibitions. Don't do this. Don't do this. And let me tell you why. Don't do that. Because God will deal with you. Verse uh, 12. It says, Apply your heart to instruction and your ears to words of knowledge. And that's what you guys are doing here tonight. That's what you guys are doing for those that have tuned in. It's kind of cool. You know, um, apply your heart to instruction. You know, um, remember the book of Revelation, they say over and over, he who has an ear to hear, let him hear, right? What the Spirit is saying to the church. And so in life, there should be that inclination of the ear. There should be here, we read the application of the heart. And really, even the preparation of the heart. Um, you remember in the, the parable of the sower, the seeds and the soil, Matthew chapter 13, it talks about Jesus, you know, how he scatters the seed. And when the seed falls on good ground, it produces supernatural fruit. And so the good ground is the heart that's right. You know, one of the things that as a pastor living in the, the days that we're living in now is there's a temptation, you know what, don't really teach the Bible. You know, you want to tell them things that will, you know, sensationalize them, things that will, whatever, keep them awake because they're not really interested in the Bible. A lot of times they're, just give me the Bible? No, I want something else. And the Lord just tells, says, you know what, just you teach the Bible and it doesn't matter, you know, they, they might be sleeping but those who have a hunger for God's word, those whose hearts are prepared, man, that's all that matters. And so what we're reading right here in the Proverbs is, hey, you know, incline your ear, apply your heart to application. And as we have that heart that wants to learn God's word, then we're going to be blessed. Verse 13, it says, Do not withhold correction from a child, for if you beat him with a rod, he will not die. You shall beat him with a rod and deliver his soul from hell. Um, I don't, you know, we're living in days now where, you know, if you, if, you're, if you leave marks on your kids, you know, child services will come and get you. So be careful with this. Um, I, I, I personally believe, and I believe it or not, I read different commentaries and some Bible teachers are saying, don't spank your children. And I'm like, wait a minute, the Bible clearly says that. It doesn't matter what the world says, the Bible says this. But here's the thing, don't, don't beat them to the point where you leave marks on them. Uh, that's what I would say. And, and I would also say don't use your hand because your hand should be an instrument of affection. Use a little something, you know, like a wooden... Don't use like some scourge or something, you know. Um, but make it sting. Because uh, it says right there that if you cause a little pain, you know, he won't die. Um, and as a matter of fact, you might prevent him from dying. You know, and there's a lot here in the Proverbs about that. Uh, for parents. Uh, for example, uh, we read last time in Proverbs 22:15 that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child and the rod of correction will drive it far from him. And before that, we read in Proverbs 13:24 that those who spare the rod of discipline hate their children and those who love their children care enough to discipline them. The truth is, if we don't discipline our children, then what we're doing is we're neglecting them and in one sense, what we're doing is we're leaving them to raise themselves. Think about that. A child left to himself, the Bible says, brings shame to his mother. You know, some parents, they don't discipline their children because they're fooled or they just want to be their friend. But other parents don't discipline their children because they're too busy doing other things. When the truth is, our children need constant attention parents and, and I'm talking to myself as well um, I would say this that in all of life 
you know, f- the thing that brings the most joy to us is our relationship with God, number one. But number two is when our children are in right relationship with God. Think about that for a second. You know, and of course, you know, we have our family priorities, but I would just say if those are the things that bring most joy to me, then that's going to be where my focus is. That's where going to be my priorities are. You know, we're going to read that later in this proverb, basically that when your children are walking in truth, that there's no greater joy. That's why we need to discipline them. That's why we need to do it in love. That's why we need to give them the scriptures. That's why we need to be an example to them. And so there's a lot we're going to see even in today's proverb about um, you know, disciplining our children. You know, the neglect can happen to anyone. I was thinking about that individual in the Bible named Eli. And he was the high priest of Israel. Think about that. I mean, he was like, you know the Pope and the Catholic Church. He was almost like a Billy Graham in the Protestant Church. He was the high priest of Israel. But he didn't discipline his sons. As a matter of fact, he put his sons in positions of ministry. And his sons were stealing from the offering. His sons were sleeping with the women in the church. But Eli didn't do anything. All he did was just kind of like, hey, guys, stop it. And so you want to know what happened? You guys read the story in 1 Samuel. What happened was God killed his sons. And then God killed Eli. And so for us, huge thing, very important. If you have children, make sure that they're not running the show. Make sure that God is and that you as a parent are disciplining them in love. Because in doing so, you're going to deliver them from dying and it could be just a physical death that he's talking about but he uses the word in the hebrew it's the word sheol it could be that that discipline is what made the difference for them eternally why because you loved them enough to chasten them verse 15 it says my son if your heart is wise my heart will rejoice indeed i myself Yes, my inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak right things. And this is exactly what we're talking about, right? The greatest joy of a Christian parent is not in the physical health of their children. It's not in the financial success of their family. It doesn't matter all that much if our kids are admired or tall or talented or prosperous or any of those types of things without godliness and so that has to be our priority be careful that we again it all it comes back to worldliness it comes back to romans chapter 12 don't be conformed to this world the people are more interested in the you know the physical or financial success of their children oftentimes than they are the spiritual success you know but what he says right here is that if our son if our daughter's heart is wise then we as parents, we rejoice. Yes, inside, we rejoice when their lips speak wise things, speak those words of wisdom. One person said, the love of our child's soul is the priority and the epitome of the Christian parent's love. What's the, what could be the greatest sound that you could ever hear as a parent? You know, and maybe you're thinking of a beautiful song or, you know, the things that we hear with our ears, you know. But really, what sweeter sound could there be than hearing God's word and God's wisdom flowing from the lips of our children? I love it, you know, and I'm just going to say this with my kids. They're not perfect kids, but when we have our talks and when we have our discussions and when we get into deep things... They, my children, give good, godly counsel. And I tell you what, that just makes my heart leap. And that's what we want. Verse 17, it says, Do not let your heart envy sinners, but be zealous for the fear of the Lord all the day. For surely there is a hereafter, and your hope will not be cut off. 
know, again, something we read frequently in the, in the uh, scriptures and especially in the Proverbs, don't be envious of evil people. And you might wonder, well, why would anyone be envious uh, of sinners, right? Well, maybe it's because of the money they're making, the lifestyle of indulgence they're living, how they're footloose and they seem to be fancy free. It sure looks like fun and you're looking at those sinners right there. They get to do whatever they feel like doing and, you know, on and on and on. We go look at them and what a nice car they have, a nice house they have, a nice job they have, you know, and they're not even, you know, healthy, all these kind of things. And if we're not careful, we might, you know, envy them. I think of that psalm. Turn to Psalm uh, 73 real quick. Psalm 73. Look what it says in verse 1. It's a psalm of Asaph. And he said, Truly God is good to Israel, to such as are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped, for I was envious of the boastful when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. For there are no pangs in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not in trouble as other men, nor are they plagued like other men. Therefore, pride serves as their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. Their eyes are uh, huge with abundance they have more than heart could wish they scoff and speak wickedly concerning oppression they speak loftily they set their mouths against the heavens and their tongue walks through the earth therefore his people return here and waters of a full cup are drained by them and they say how does god know and is there knowledge in the most high Behold, these are the ungodly who are always at ease. They increase in riches. Surely I have cleansed my heart in vain and washed my hands in innocence. For all day long I have been plagued and chastened every morning. If I had said I will speak thus, behold, I would have been untrue to the generation of your children. And when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me. And so he's saying, man, I see the way that those people, they don't serve the Lord. And it just seems like, man, their life and all the things they say, and it's just crazy how they're getting away with it. And, and, and this guy who's writing this psalm, he says, when I was looking at their life, I almost stumbled. I almost backslid. I almost said, forget this. I'm not going to serve the Lord anymore. Because look at the way that they're blessed. They said, that was where I was Again, in verse 16, when I thought how to understand this, it was too painful for me until, verse 17, until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I understood their end. And, and that's what we're seeing back in our proverb, you know, that as, as we go through life, you know, and we're looking at them and we want to envy those who are financially successful or whatever it might be he's just saying don't envy them verse 17 but on the contrary be zealous for the fear of the lord all day here's the reason for surely there is a hereafter and your hope will not be cut off you know when you begin to study the bible when you go into the house of the lord when you go into the sanctuary and you realize that there is a heaven that there is a hell then you don't really envy them anymore, man, because you realize, wow, the Lord has given me the kingdom of God. Here we read the reason not to envy them, and it's a big one, because there is a hereafter. There is life after death. It's in one of two places, either with or without God, either heaven or hell. And so, you know, don't just fear the Lord. He says right here, fear the Lord all day he says don't just fear the lord be zealous for the fear of the lord and that healthy fear of god it kind of keeps us on track verse 19 he says hear my son and be wise and guide your heart and in my bible i underlined those words guide your heart in the way do not mix with or be among wine-bibbers or with gluttonous eaters of meat. For the drunkard and the glutton will come to poverty, 
and drowsiness will clothe a man with rags. And, and in the beginning right there, I just can't just gloss over the fact that he tells us uh, to, to be wise and to guide our heart. You know, the world's word, they will say, don't guide your heart. The world would say, follow your heart. What does your heart tell you to do, right? But for us who know the scriptures, we realize that we don't follow our heart. We guide our heart. Jeremiah 17, 9 says our heart is bad in and of itself. It's wicked. It's deceitful above all things. And so uh, what we try to do is we say, Lord, I, I'm going to walk not by by feelings, but by faith, not by emotions, but by convictions. And what happened is that you start walking by faith and your heart will oftentimes follow. You know, there's times in our life, sometimes as Christians, where we might see someone and we don't like them, you know, so to speak, you know. And, and you know, your heart is telling you, run, never talk to them, you know, uh, stay as far away from them as you can. That's what your heart tells you to do. But what does God tell you to do? God tells you to love them. God tells you to, to pray for them, right? And then watch what happens. A lot of times, I'm not saying it's always easy, but you, know, you start loving on them. You start you know, praying for them. And then what ends up happening is God starts changing your heart. What are you doing? You're guiding your heart. You're walking by faith. That's what Christians are called to do. And so that's one thing I want to mention about this verse. But another thing that we see a lot of times in the Proverbs is that you, know, you have to be careful who you hang out with. Again, we're talking about, you know, be careful if you go to the, the dinner with the, the guy who's the boss or the leader or some whoever it might be and they're trying to manipulate you. Be careful of manipulation. Be careful of the miser, the one with an evil eye. They have that type of agenda. But here you have someone who's a wine-bibber. They're a gluttonous eater. Um, these are wasteful people. Who knows, maybe there's some kids who got some type of an inheritance, and you, know, and you go and you hang out with them, and you don't learn any good work ethics from them. And so, again, in the Proverbs, we learn this time and time again. It, so much of our life is going to be determined by who we choose to hang out with, who we choose to be influenced by, who our friends are. I'm not saying you can't have friends that aren't saved because we've got to reach the world. But I'm talking about people you get counsel from. I'm talking about who you're really around. He says right here, if you hang out with the gluttonous, which really literally talks about people who waste food, they throw away food, they got so much, that's their mentality, they're so wasteful, or the wine-bibber, we're going to talk about that more later. They're just drinking all the time. Then what ends up happening is you're going to learn their ways, and that drowsiness, that laziness, will lead to poverty, which is another thing we see frequently in the Proverbs about working hard. So again, another warning about poor associations. Verse 22, it says, Listen to your father who begot you, and do not despise your mother when she is old. And so we see this again uh, frequently in the Proverbs. Um, some of you guys here, you had you know, good dads that gave you good words of wisdom, and they gave you biblical counsel. You know? And so what he's saying right here is listen to them because they love you. A lot of times kids don't listen to their parents. Um, for whatever reason, they've got to hear it from someone else. But right here in the Proverbs, he's saying, when that counsel is godly, listen to them. And whatever you do, don't despise your mother when she's old. As a matter of fact, the Bible says to honor your parents. And that word, you know, a lot of times we think it's for little kids, but really the context there in Exodus uh, chapter 20, Deuteronomy chapter 5, or in um, uh, the scriptures in 1 Timothy 5 is to honor your parents is to do it when they're older. Because as you do it when they're older, um, it's your way of taking care of them. And that's what this literally says. Don't despise your mother's experience when she is old. And so, you know, you listen to them, especially those of you who have Christian parents. 
Verse 23, it says, Buy the truth and do not sell it. Also wisdom and instruction and understanding. And so, you know, buy the truth. That's interesting. Not that that, you know, one of the cool things about the truth is it really is free. It's kind of cool, huh? That, that it's free. Truth, wisdom, and understanding, um, they don't really cost literal money. But here's the thing that he's trying to say is that it does cost. It, d it does require some sort of sacrifice. Remember that Proverbs in Proverbs 17, 16, it says, Why is there in the hand of a fool the purchase price of wisdom since he has no heart for it? I mean, here's a guy who's wondering, well, how do you get wise? How do you get wise? You read your Bible. You read your Bible on your knees. You know, you read Bible-based books. You study to show yourself approved. There's the price. But you know what? That individual who asked the question, not even willing to pay the price. It's not like it's a secret. It's not like you don't know how to do it. We have this Bible in front of us. You know, and, and I don't know, there's part of me as a pastor that, that just kind of assumes, well, people know, right? They're supposed to read their Bible. They know they're supposed to love it and learn it and live it and read it and heed it and saturate themselves in the scriptures. But for whatever reason, I've learned that most of the church, they don't. They don't, what, you're too busy to read the Bible? You, what, what's more important than hearing from God? And I want to encourage you guys, and you guys that are here, I'm probably preaching to the choir, you know, because you're here on a midweek service. But I've learned this, that the best words that I've received from the Lord are ones that are personal. So it's cool to come. Please keep coming. Please keep coming with an open heart, you know, and you're learning the word. But, but make sure you're reading the Bible as well on your own. Psalm 1, it says, do it every day. And the Bible even talks about doing it multiple times, day and night. You believe you mean there's nothing more important than that. You know, I think I remember a long time ago, I had written something. Let's see if I remember how it goes. It says, God is alive and God is here. At times he speaks through others and he whispers in my ear. But this same God who lives and whose closeness is his art, pre prefers to speak straight from his throne directly to my heart. So there's a place to be taught, and I thank God for that. It's biblical. God says, I've given you teachers as a church. But when you read your Bible, just you and the Holy Spirit, it's God himself speaking to you things that are so personal and so necessary. And this is why it's so important that we buy the truth, that we don't sell it in wisdom, instruction, and understanding. Verse 24, it says, The father of the righteous will greatly rejoice, and he who begets a wise child will delight in him. Let your father and your mother be glad, and let her who bore you rejoice. And we've talked about this already, huh? How... In all reality, that, that, that brings the greatest joy. I mean, for me, now I'm getting older, I don't really care a whole lot about a lot, all the other things. Just that my kids will serve the Lord. Well, that's what we see right here. Third John, verse 4, he said, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Think about that. And that was John talking about people in the church, those type of children. But it's the same when it comes to our family. Verse 26, he says, My son, give me your heart and let your eyes observe my ways. For a harlot is a deep pit and a seductress is a narrow well. She also lies in wait as for a victim and increases the unfaithful among men. And so sexual sin, um, the, 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 the harlot, I mean, this crazy. There are girls out there that all they want to do is to increase the unfaithful among men. There are girls out there that all they want to do is take a pastor down. Why? Because the devil put that inside of their heart. And so what he's saying right here is a deep pit. It's a narrow well. In other words, you'll never escape that. 
if you fall in that sexual sin. But it's interesting the way that he starts, because we've all heard that before. I've, pre I've preached that message. You guys have heard it, from, you've heard it many times. But I tell you what, even in a church like this, it's gone one in one ear and out the other. And that guy, he sits in that chair and he goes out there and he looks at the pornography or he goes out there, he falls into sexual sin or she falls into sexual sin. Why? I don't understand. We told you, you guys saw the warning. Why? And the answer is right there. What he says in the beginning, my son, give me your heart. The reason that they fall, the reason that they, they don't, and they're in their trap. The reason that they ruin so much is because they have not yet given God their heart. You won't get anywhere if it's just here. If it's just head knowledge, that's nothing. The 18 inches difference, it makes all the difference in the world between Saul, who had no heart, Solomon, who had a half a heart, and David, who had a whole heart. And so we read the warning. The last thing we see in verse 29, it says, Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Who has contentions? Who has complaints? Who has wounds without cause? I mean, these are people with strife. They're always fighting, needless bruises. Who has bloodshot or redness of eyes? Those who linger long at the wine. Those who spend long hours at the bar. Those who go in search of mixed wine. He says, do not look on the wine when it is red, when it sparkles in the cup, when it swirls around smoothly. At the last, it bites like a serpent and stings like a viper. Your eyes will see strange things and your heart will utter perverse things. Yes, you will be like one who lies down in the midst of the sea or like one who lies at the top of the mass saying, they have struck me, but I was not hurt. They have beaten me, but I did not feel it. When shall I awake that I may seek another drink? And you know, some people, you know, Christians, they'll tell you, well, the Bible is, is okay with you drinking. I mean, it's no big deal. But you know what? When you read the Bible as a whole, when I think when you look at life, especially the world that we live in today where wine is eight times stronger than it used to be, I think you realize, hey, I don't need that. Look at what he says right here. This is the one who has all these woes, all these sorrows, all these fights, all these problems. They don't even know what's going on. They got, and I, I remember experiencing this myself, my friends experiencing this. You know, they get into fights, you know, and next thing you know, um, they're just at it again. And so what is he saying right here? God is just saying that's something that you want, you want to avoid. You know, woe to men mighty at drinking wine the bible says in isaiah 5 22 isaiah 5 11, it also uh, gives the warning to them and then i was just kind of thinking off the top of my head different examples of individuals in the bible and just the the crazy things that happened to them nabal who was called literally a fool in the bible he ended up dying uh, all that was mixed in with the wine i think of lot who slept with his daughters. I think of Noah, who was naked. His sons had to cover him. I think of Herod, who made these crazy vows. And next thing you know, John the Baptist's head was cut off. All that was from people who were drunk. And so you guys, um, I pray that you would not be drunk with wine. Ephesians 5.18, it says, in which is a wasted life. But on the contrary, be under the influence of the Holy Spirit. The way you conquer one passion is with a greater passion. I don't need no drugs. I don't need no, no alcohol. I don't need no beer. I don't need no hard liquor. I don't need that stuff. Why? Because I'm under the influence of the Holy Spirit. You know, you guys don't need that to, you know, kind of like loosen up. Just be yourself. And you watch what God will do. There's a lot of warnings here. There's a lot of warnings. Like I said in the beginning, prohibitions with warnings and reasons that God you know, gives us because he loves us. But the question is, will we take them to heart? I'll close with one last thing as Daniel comes up to, to share with us. You know, my wife and I, we go out on walks in the streets uh, uh, where we live, right? And uh, I remember there was a, a time there where she would always tell me to take a stick 
right? And um, to be honest, I didn't want to take it. I'm like, why? Why are we this? I, I mean, you know, I gotta. I want my hands to be clear. My watch, it kind of, you know, keeps my motion and keeps track of all that stuff. And she, you know, always wants me to take a stick, and I do it reluctantly. Until one day, it was maybe about, I don't know, two months ago, we were out walking, and guess what happened? A pit bull. A pit bull came at us, right? And he was charging, and he was coming right at me. And to my shame, my wife had the stick in her hand, right? So I said, hey, give me that stick, right? I got the stick out of her hand, and you know what I did? I just pointed it right at this pit bull. If I did not have that stick, then he would have, he would have, you know, mauled us. He would have come at us. He would have had toe to toe. Who knows what to want? I don't know for sure. But pit bulls, man, they lock jaws, right? And um, and I just afterwards, I, I thought about it. I'm like, Lord, it's kind of like how you always warn us: be ready, be ready. Take these things to heart, you know, because eventually the day's gonna come when it all comes to the surface. And so prayerfully, we take this to heart. We heed the warnings, especially the one that says that if you don't know Jesus, then you will die in your sins. You know, and I think for most of you guys here, you probably do know the Lord, but make sure you keep believing in Him and you continue in the faith. And if you don't, though, that's the biggest warning of all. Because like this guy, you know, my heart just goes out to Tyler. He's there just changing the tire. Next thing you know, he gets struck by a car and he dies. Now where is he forever? Prayerfully, his faith was real and he's in heaven. But none of us knows, you know, when that day is going to come. And so, you know, Jesus died on that cross. He rose again. All you have to do is believe in him. Just say, yes, Jesus, be the Lord of my life. I give you my heart. And if that's a decision that you make, he will honor that. He will write your name in the book of life. And you can know for sure that when you die, you'll go to heaven. But you got to make sure you make that decision.